Solomon, as we learned again through the book of Ecclesiastes, had a thousand wives and concubines. Now, if you do the math, there are only 365 days in the year. I mean, and plus, that means he had over a a thousand mother-in-laws. So, as we studied Ecclesiastes... He always uses these personal pronouns, I, my, over and over, talking about what is, as my dad pointed out, under the sun, rather than looking what is in the sun, S-O-N, that we are seated in heavenly places. If we don't remember that, life is meaningless. If we do remember that, life is abundant. If your thoughts are only under the S-U-N, you will begin to, like Solomon, say, I hate life. But when you remember all things were made by him and for him, life then is fulfilled. So you want to have purpose in life? Do all things for him. Be married for him. Work for him. Clean the house for him. Take, life takes on meaning. Even the smallest thing has meaning when it's for him, for his glory. Because it doesn't matter if the results are big or not. You do it for his glory. So, Ecclesiastes, we wrapped it up, not last night, but the week before. And if you missed any or, or some of it, or you want to take it in again, I would encourage that very much. Um, last night, we ended up, we finished the book of Ecclesiastes, I should say, last night, sorry. I had a dead brain for a moment. I don't even know if it's for a moment, but uh, last night we finished the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, the last few verses say everything that needs to be said. So check it out if you weren't here last night. Or even if you were, you might want to hear it again. So um, we're going to begin the Song of Solomon. Wow. See how my dad does that. Good luck, pops. But marriage in the new covenant. Hmm. When you talk about Song of Solomon or you talk about the book of Ephesians, whether in the Old or the New Testament, if the guy, if the man is looking to his wife to be what only Jesus can She won't, she can't bear up under it. Look at, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that, as you know, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. As Christ loved the church. See, it doesn't just say, husbands, love your wives. Does it? If it just said that, that's like any marriage seminar. But it says, as Christ loves the church. So the more you understand how much Jesus loves you, the church, and then the more you love him in return, loving Jesus more only causes one to love their wife more. It spills over because you're so full of peace and love and your partner, your spouse is the beneficiary. But the problem is when Empty people are looking to one another to be filled. Empty vessels make the most noise, don't they? Clanging. But Jesus says, come and drink of me. Come and take. Come and drink and there will be rivers that flow out of your innermost being. See, those rivers of living water that flow from out of you and I are to the benefit of those around us, right? Because they're flowing from out of us. So they're for the benefit of those around us, for them to drink, for them to be refreshed. So if I drink from Jesus, from him, there is an overflow and it's a blessing to my spouse, to my kids, to my friends. So... Here's what I, my point. Here's my point. Ready? So if you have a marriage right now that's going under strife, here's my point. My advice to you is to drink. <laughs> drink until you get drunk. I don't, I mean what Jesus said. Come and drink of me, the rivers of living water. Not a drink, not a drunkenness that's going to, give you a hangover no get drunk get filled with the wine that has no hangover in fact better yet he was hung up for my hang-ups and so drink of jesus is what i'm saying that's my point when he's the center of your life All things then are integrated, held together, and full. Jesus is the center. So that's why, by the way, we meet on Sunday. Because it says in the scriptures, in the gospels, where Jesus appeared in the midst of his disciples on Sundays, on the Sabbath, the new Sabbath, I should call it, on Sunday. Jesus appeared in the midst of his disciples after he had risen from the dead. Quote, in the midst, end quote, in the center of his disciples. When we meet together on Sundays, it's not just you and your wife trying to make it any longer on your own. You're with God's people and Jesus is in the center. So those are some thoughts on Seeing Jesus revive your marriage, get drunk on him. 
<laughs> my point is. I'm so grateful that we have that opportunity to do just that. Surrender. 
from Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we are told here that we have been given a gift. The gift of God. What is it? Eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The salvation that Jesus Christ gives to you and I as you already know, is a gift. Now, if it was anything else, if Jesus had come to start a mere religion like any other, like Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or any other religion, If he simply came, it would be a religion. Like they came and they gave the orders and the commands and Jesus could have done that. And if he would have, it would have been, if Jesus would have merely come, it would have been a religion. But because it was given, we're reminded it was a gift. Again, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Something that is 
given. And how often the Apostle Paul uses the term in his writings, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, the term charisma. What a beautiful word, charisma. A gift of grace is what it literally means. Now, Romans points out that before we received this gift of eternal life, we were prisoners, you and I, of sin and righteousness. Prisoners cannot escape. And, you know, it's interesting that I've pointed out before, when Romans speaks of sin in the words of the Apostle Paul, 38 times sin, the word sin, is used as a noun a state of being, right? Only two times in Romans is sin used as a verb, something you do. In other words, sin is, our nature is even deeper than we realize. It's deeper even than our mere actions that we're aware of. And that's why we're prisoners. Prisoners cannot escape until... He then writes, you become, as we just read, set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The result is eternal life. Just as you couldn't escape your sinfulness, get this. Christian, I I hope somebody's listening. Just because you couldn't, just as you couldn't escape your sinfulness, now you can't escape his righteousness. All it came as a result of was believing, receiving, that is a gift. You know, it's interesting when you get a gift. Sometimes if the person knows you well, it says something about you. It's a perfect gift and it's almost humorous or it's perfect or it brings a smile to your face because it says so much about you. It's, it can be almost humbling, right? That that person knows you so well. And a gift like that is free, but it's not cheap. And can I say this reverently? Christ made an overpayment for our salvation. That is, the gift of salvation that he gave to us was through his own blood. It's humbling. It's perfect. It's so perfect, in fact, it's almost like an overpayment of sorts, if you would. That's how perfect this gift is. And why? It sets us free from sin, and now we are slaves to God. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 tell us. So just as you couldn't escape your sinfulness, now you cannot escape his righteousness. I think some of us need to be reminded of that. And even some of the world needs to be reminded that they can't escape their sinfulness. 
that it's not about 12 steps or inner secrets, the secret as it's called, or Zen meditation. No, because you, you can't escape your sinfulness. Nothing you can do, no matter how many hours you meditate, you're still going to have the noun of sinfulness. <laughs> Not to mention the verbs. You know what I mean by that? You need a gift that's outside of yourself. The world needs to hear this, don't they? We need to tell them. And then you need to hear, Christian, you need to hear that you can't escape your righteousness. There's nothing you can do because it wasn't based on what you did in the first place. You know this. It wasn't as though God said, all right, I'll let you in as a gift, but then it's up to you. Or I'll let you in by grace, but man, you better get your act together. Yet that's the way we tend to think as Christians and act as Christians and as the church too often. You're in by grace, but you better get your act together, right? Isn't that not the mentality of so many Christians? <laughs> We're in by grace, but now we got our act together. We're in by grace. You better get your act together. How about we're in by grace and we're still being saved by grace? <laughs> because if we remember that, all credit, all power, all honor goes to Jesus. That's why I keep talking about the grace of Jesus Christ. That music heals the soul But I have sung a thousand songs And they never made me whole Until I joined the holy chorus That started long ago Though it carried me a while Still so many miles to go So So many times before, y'all But I never felt anything, no See, I wanted something more And then it came like rushing waters To these old, dry and dusty bones Your life-giving words Pick me up and take me home, yeah I can sing with 
broken man when the road is long and write in me a melody so I can sing redemption song cause when push comes to shove never be enough to make it on my own help this broken man so help this broken man so because when push comes to shove You know, one of the reasons I love going here on KAPL, um, usually at the 10 o'clock hour, is because even if I'm feeling lousy or I'm feeling bummed, by the time I'm finished with the hour of sharing the gospel, I no longer am. And you're saying, or you're thinking, well, good for you, Pete. So what? Here's what. When you share the gospel, it has an effect on your own soul. See, I think we rightly share the gospel to save other people's souls. But can I also say, by sharing the gospel, you're saving your own soul? You're blessing your own soul. So even if you share the gospel at work or at home or at school, and not one person responds ever, a la Jeremiah, remember him? Or not one person says, I receive the gospel, the the good news of Christ. That's okay. It wasn't up to you to save those people. That was in completely the sovereignty of God. But you share the gospel, the good news, not just for their souls. You share the gospel, the good news for your own soul. And that's what I get to do. In fact, listen to this. Romans 8, for we know that In all things, God works for the good. For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Notice this morning with me, if you will, if you would, if you're so inclined. In Romans 8, we know all things work together for good. You know that verse. For those who love him, you know that verse. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
I wonder how often we really give time to think about and meditate or consider on that all things are working together for good according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? The very next verse tells us what his purpose is. It says, we are predestined to be like Jesus Christ. In other words, you are predestined to be like Jesus. That is the purpose of God. Because the more you are like Jesus, the more peace, the more joy you will have. So for your good, what good? To make you more like Jesus. All things work together for your good. In other words, the next verse says, to make you like Jesus. God will use your troubles, your shortcomings. He'll use it all to make you like Jesus. So I think about, listen to this. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Our guy, Joe, he was stripped down to the waist, auctioned off into slavery. Do you think that when that happened, he really knew everything was working together for good? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. One thing that I do know he was a whole lot like Jesus. When Potiphar's, when Potty's wife came to him, he resisted her. His reward for that was thrown into prison. And in dun- the dungeon, what do you think went through his head? I resisted the wife. I could have given in, lived the good life, but now I'm in prison. And yet, even in that prison, everything was working together for good. A, for Joseph's good, he would become the prime minister of Egypt. B, for his family is good, they could move down and be sustained. C, for Egypt's good, he would save the entire nation through his regiment and through his laws that he would pass D for the world's good. Now we're still learning about Jesus through him, but in it all and through it all, God was working everything together for good because he, Joseph, even in the midst of that, was an incredible picture of Jesus. And in the midst of your trials right now, dear friend, you might not know it, but God is working everything together for the good. How? You might not see it. You might not know it just like Joseph may not have, but you are perfectly, or I should probably say wonderfully depicting a portrait of Jesus as you go through what you are going through. When you're in the hospital or you're served those divorce papers un necessarily or you lost the job you fighting depression whatever it may be even though you might not see these results 
right now, even though you might not be conscious or aware of what is taking place. Like Joseph, when he was being sold into slavery and thrown into prison, and yet he's this powerful picture of Jesus. Did he know everything was working together for good? I don't know in the midst, in the midst of all of that, but they were. And so too with everything you're going through, everything is working together for good. You might not know it, but it is. And the reason I say that is because the good is Romans 8, 29. The next verse says, you are becoming more like Jesus. And I know that's what you want, right? We can both agree. That's the name of the game, as it were. So, all things are working together for good. It's not random. It's not arbitrary. It's perfection. The glory of God is being worked in your life. Even when you feel like you failed, he's still going to turn it and work it together for the good, for your good. What good? To make you more like Jesus.
Welcome back to Rogue Grace. If in our world, if if something good comes, then often we say, or the world says, or our culture says, right? People say we are lucky. On the other hand, if something bad occurs in the neighborhood, in the, the world, or in your life, so often it is said that it is, quote, an act of God. <laughs> You've noticed that. That, wow, something good happened. I'm so lucky something bad happened. That's an act of God. A.K.A. tornado or hurricane. But if it's the lottery <laughs> or winning the championship or whatever, then we're lucky. So if the good is lucky and the bad is an act of God, where does God finally get his glory? I'll tell you from you, from his people, because we know all things work together for the good. So when you really understand what we talked about last segment, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good. God gets his glory, finally, where he deserves. And then you and I, when to the degree we understand all things are working together for good, there is no more stress. Because it's working for good. It's working for good. As we say, when I said, when I was growing up, it's all good. <laughs> Can you really say that? Yeah. If you are a child of God, it's all good. Example. Well, we used Joseph last segment, Caleb, Caleb's secret. What was the secret of his success of his youth? As an old man, he takes all that territory in the book of Joshua and judges. Well, I mean, the guy says, I'm as strong this day as the day Moses sent me 40 years before. I'm still as strong as I was. You remember what had happened that 40 years before. The 10 other spies said, we'll be eaten alive by these Canaanites, these giants. Caleb said, no, other way around. They are our bread. They're our In-N-Out Burger. They are our Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Do I, do you see our giants as our bread like Caleb or as something that will eat us up? Something that eats us up or something that we eat up? Caleb says, it's bread for me. What? Wow. His secret was this wonder bread. The bread of life. The bread of God. So, an example of this would be the wooden beam on a, a, a voyage ship. Let's say 500 years ago, whatever. But you, you know what I'm saying. The kind of wooden beam that's used as a mast for the sail. And 
if it breaks up in a storm, the ship is at the mercy of the waves, right? So it's important that that mast is as strong as possible. Where did they go to get the lumber, the wood, the timber? They did not go down the valley, but to the mountains where the trees had to stand against the elements of blizzards and rugged conditions. Why not cut down below in the valley? Why go to the mountains? Because up in the mountains, the trees were already tested. They were strong. And so, too, God allows us to be weathered in the storms. Right? So that like old man Caleb, we look at those giants that other people are calling giant storms, giant problems, and we say, that's bread. Yum, yum. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. So are you. We are. God is working that within us. So rejoice. Feel loved. That when these things happen, when the spouse gets under your skin or you're bypassed for the promotion at work, that these are actually giants that are bred. Eat it up. Don't let it eat you up. Say, I'm going to eat this up because it's all working together for good. It's not simply something that's lucky when something goes well and an act of God when something goes bad. It's all working together for good. When we really understand this, there's a whole lot less stress, right? I know you agree. We'll be right back. have a message for us they've learned to endure they've learned how to trust when they talk about God we can believe what they say because the lives they have lived are the proof of their faith in times of great sorrow when it feels like the end an old man can say I have been there my friend don't ever give up, don't ever let go If there's one thing I've seen, one thing I know Your weeping may last through the night But the sun will soon rise and you'll be alright What feels like a hurt that won't ever heal Will turn to compassion for what others feel In the hand of the Lord there is purpose in pain I say this because I've been there my friend Troubles I face Old woman you've shown me The meaning of grace In those times when I feel I'm losing my way 
I am comforted by every word that you say When you say your weeping may last through the night But the sun will soon rise and you'll be alright What feels like a hurt that won't ever heal Will turn to compassion for what others feel sun will soon rise and you'll be all right what feels like a hurt that won't ever heal will turn to compassion for what others feel the hand of the lord brings purpose from pain i say this because i've been there my You know, in the book of Acts, it was said of those first Christians, these are they who turn the world upside down. They were given the power to actually turn the world right side up. (laughs) And while others may think or say your world is turned upside down, the Holy Spirit is acting actually turning it right side up. Those guys in the book of Acts, Kenneth Latteret, who was a historian, well known and awarded many times over the years. He taught at Yale. He said about the book of Acts, the events that are recorded there, There was a vast release of energy. I love, and I want to read that quote to you. In fact, here's what he said. The more one examines the factors that seem to account for the extraordinary victory of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. It is clear at the very beginning of Christianity, there had to occur a vast release of energy virtually unequaled in history where the future course of the religion is unexplicable why this occurred may lie outside the realm that modern historians are supposed to move (laughs) it's unexplicable says historian famed historian kenneth latteret i like that a vast release of energy on this Thursday, may you receive this vast release of energy. A peace of God, a love from the Lord that you have in your heart 
that is beyond explanation except you know it to be the vast release of energy from the Holy Spirit himself. Let me pray for you. Father, for any who are listening right now, may they experience this beauty and power of your Holy Spirit. For Jesus, you told us, without you, we can do nothing. And we realize without your Holy Spirit, there's no way we can be happy or holy completely. So Lord, would you give us your gift that you secured through your resurrection. May you give us the Holy Spirit. I pray that for each person that right now is listening, that the gift of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit would be dispensed, given freely, given abundantly, overflowing from the innermost being at this very moment. For me too, Lord. <laughs> Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's my prayer for us. And it, I know, is lined up with God's will. Cool stuff. Thank you for tuning in. Come out to the church tonight in the upper room. We'll be having our weekly prayer meeting. Through the tabernacle we pray. It's an awesome time. Last week was packed. Come on out. Join us. You will be blessed. That's at 7 o'clock. 7, the number of perfection. Perfect time. Thank you for tuning in. Lord willing, if it's his will, I'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless.